This episode is sponsored by Coastal Leather Supply, created by leather crafters for leather crafters, supplying premium leather, tools and all your other leather working needs. Specialised in vegetable tan leather such as Buttero, Pueblo and many others. They ship internationally and are trusted in the Australian and New Zealand leather working community. Visit coastalleathersupply.com.au Welcome to episode 19 of the Joseph M Leather Podcast. In this episode I talk to Hunter from HW Goods. Hunter is from Oregon, United States and has been doing leather craft since October 2019. He has made wallets and is in the process of making a website. So welcome Hunter. Nice to be here, Joseph. Really appreciate you having me. No, thanks for your thanks for your time. Um, yeah, so tell me a bit of, a bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm 26. Um, live in Portland, Oregon. Uh, have a full time job working in supply chain and um, do a hobby of leather craft uh, on the side, which I've been doing for a couple of years now. Oh, that's awesome. So, um, well, how, well, how did you get into to leather craft? Yeah, so similar to, I'm sure, a lot of other leather crafters too, um, I was just kind of minding my own business on YouTube and, and scrolling through videos, and I stumbled upon a guy named Parker Boren, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard about, um, Stock and Barrel, and um, he was showing me how, showing people how to do the number 52 wallet, um, and I really enjoyed it and thought it was something beautiful, and I was like, well, I think I can do that myself, and decided to just get some money together. I didn't get too much money, maybe 50 bucks, and went to my local locust uh or at least closest uh supply store for leathercraft and just started buying supplies also so um i guess what did they did you start out with a starter kit or um no i i literally i i watched some videos on first tools you need for leathercraft and it was just talking about you know make sure you have a good sharp knife and good make sure you have like you need glue and you need thread, you need needles and, you know, you need to be able to, uh, um, you need the leather. And so I just, and, and pricking irons as well. And so I basically just started with that, um, had a basic hammer and just started with those few items, um, and tried to make a wallet out of that. And I, I tried dyeing my own leather at first too, which was not something I ever want to do again. Yeah, I did. I did that at the start. I was yeah. dyeing my leather and, oh, the, the mistakes. Oh, it's, it's not really the mistakes. It, it just takes such a long time. Like people do it, and that that's fine. But so yeah, messy. not not for. It it is good because in one respect, because you can just have normal vegetable tan, and just dye it whatever color you want, as opposed to buying like so many different colors and variations. Yeah. That's cool. But it it it's part of the learning process, and you know, like I it. It, it does. It takes so long for it to dry. Like, I had to wait overnight, and it would get messy. I ended up, like, ruining some of my, like, doors in my house because there would be, like, stain on my fingers or my gloves, and I would touch something. It was just it was just nasty stuff, and it was just, like, I'd rather just buy it looking pretty, you know, because I wasn't going to get consistent. I didn't want to get the perfect circular motions down, and, yeah, it was a process for sure. Yeah. Um, did you – I remember when I was dying – Cause yeah, cause you can either use the circular motions to get it in. I remember I saw this Weaver video by Chuck, and he talks about how you drip dye. I'm not sure if you would have saw that video, but oh, like you just you have the tub of dye, you put it in like yeah. a sort of plastic tub, and then you just put the leather through it, and you get like a you know a much more uniform look. And I remember doing that, but yeah, like you said, there's there's so much equipment because you have to make sure the dye doesn't spill on the ground. Yeah. 
and you know make sure it's it, you can dry it because it, obviously in the winter it takes longer to dry than in the in warmer months so no that's cool so when you first started because I know I felt exactly the same you sort of you, you don't even know like the leather craft community exists I know that you know the um the guys who have like big YouTube channels and that sort of stuff right but you don't really know other crafters and it kind of feels like you're in like your own little lifeboat and then you just come across like this channel of like all these different leather like ships and little ships and yachts and speedboats and it's it's crazy when you sort of find that leather community have you sort of found that now or trying to still find it i guess i mean i'm i'm finding more and more but yeah when i i mean like you said when i first started it felt like i was the only one fit like not the only one but it was just like i didn't think there was such a community yeah you know um, and then once I started, you know, following people I've watched on YouTube and then following people that they kind of followed that I liked, um, I started to realize like, wow, there's, there is a huge community for this. And there's a lot of people that are involved in this and a lot yeah. of really great crafters out there. And it, it really blew my mind. Actually, yeah. I was just like, um, and like you kind of talk about with a lot of people on your, on your uh, podcast here is like, you know, with the pandemic, a lot of more, a lot more people got involved in it, um, which is just kind of coincidence for me, kind of getting and finding it right before then. But I, we're seeing a lot more people get involved um, in the craft itself. But yeah, it, it definitely surprised me. I didn't expect it to be so large and rich. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't think that there was going to be a huge influx either. Um, when when COVID hit, like I, I just, I just, yeah, I just, I just didn't think. And even now, I just, yeah, it's. People have more of the time. My roommate started woodworking. You know, he was like, "Oh, I, I'm at home all the time. Like, I kind of want to, you know, pick up something with my hands too." And he got into woodworking. Yeah. You know. Yeah, woodworking is cool. I think, like, if I had to choose another craft, like, if I had to choose another hobby to do, it would be woodworking. Yeah, that would um, be a cool one. Like, I've seen like the. Have you seen like the the Japanese joint? Like how they chisel out the joints and they like, like squeeze them together. Like, no. no nails or anything. Or they use, like, wooden nails. Like, sort of basic but traditional woodwork. I like it. So, how did you refine your skills? I mean, I, I come home from work every day and I just work it on work on it. I mean, literally just apply it, you know. Um, I, I was watching YouTubes for a long time and it was just kind of like, well, I'm saturating my mind with so much information. I just need to, like, pick one of the skills and just go dive into it. For me, it's just it's focusing on one fundamental at a time. It, it it can be I feel like so overwhelming to think of the whole process as a as a whole when you're starting out that it's like, oh, how do you glue? How do you cut it right? How do you glue it right? How do you you know all the little pieces that you want to learn? But you just need to kind of take one thing and 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 learn it. Learn how to cut the leather well. How does it feel? How does that work? Okay, can you make a straight cut? Now can you stitch that cut? You know, um, and and just practice that and literally just apply it as much as you can and and over time you you don't really realize it but it you you start to build up the skill and you start to really understand the skill you know like when I first started stitching it was like okay I I understand that I can put the two I can saddle stitch it and it it holds it together but I didn't know how all the you know how exactly the thread was going in there where to exactly place my hands you know how to pull up and down on it so I can create this jagged effect you know and so there's like you start to just learn a lot more 
as you just focus on one piece and then you start to learn about that and really understand it. Mm -hmm. um, it's easier to apply that to other things, your other fundamentals, and it just kind of all comes together. But yeah, just put in the time, really. Yeah, I definitely agree. And yeah, that's one thing that's helped me as well. You just focus on that one key area because once you focus on when you get one thing down pat, you can just work on something else, like, you know, from your stitching to your burnishing, etc. Yeah, that's been... Actually, I'll ask you on edge paint. I know I was meant to ask you this a bit further down, but since we're talking okay. about... I've never used edge paint before. I've, I've recently learned how to use it one of the that's interesting because I think like you said you sort of prefer it to burnishing yeah yeah more of an aesthetic yeah for me that's more of a look um but I also feel like it <clears throat> it holds longer um I feel like it, it holds and looks better longer um but that it's it, it's it's similar to burnishing in that you're repeating steps and you're sanding over multiple times and repeating um, not necessarily as much as burnishing but like for me with my let with my uh, paint um, it's it's it paint specifically for leather craft I think there's uniters um, which is one I've heard of and I have a couple of that but I, I primarily use uh, vernice edge paint um, yeah but basically you, you apply it and a lot of people I see use awls um, I got a paint roller, which has been kind of an adjustment because it's can be easy to, to have the, the paint go over the edge a little bit, which is a very frustrating feeling. Um, but you basically apply it with an edge roller or however you would like to, um, and then let that dry. It usually takes five to ten minutes. You sand it. Um, I typically use a 400 grit for that. I don't think you need to necessarily go too high, and I just stick with a 400 throughout my whole process until I'm complete. Um, but you, I apply two to three layers depending upon, um, if it's like on the outside of the piece or if I'm doing like a, a pocket that's usually one to two layers just cause it's such a thin piece. It doesn't take as much, but after that's applied, um, I, before I was using this gloss finish, which was not a lot of pe I've never really seen people use it, but it was just available on the, this leathercraft website I go to Rocky Mountain leather supply. Um, and it's, uh, it, it basically, I applied it right over the paint after my paints dried on my last layer that I'd like to do and sanded. Um, I apply this gloss finish and it would make, it would give it a shine and more of like a, a protective coat. So like it wouldn't chip at all. Like your nail wouldn't make marks in the, in the, um, paint all, at all or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it was just too much of a shine. And so I've lately been using a, just a Columbus wax. I'll just put on top of there. Um, and I'll basically rub it down. Um, with a fabric, just like you would for burnishing, for finishing off your edges. I heard that you can use, because um, you have like the awl, or you have like the roller, you can actually right. combine the two, so you can get, you can get one of those, um, do you know those like little bottles, and you can like put your token oil in it, and then you can like put it on like tap, 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 along the side of your thing? Yeah. Yeah, one of those, yeah. but you have like a stainless steel end of it, and then you can fill it up with edge paint and sort of use the edge paint, like sort of, like you can squeeze it on and then you can sort of use the tip as a, to rub it on. So you have like your I see. constant feeding of edge paint without having to like, you know, um, I've, I've never done it before, so I can't speak, but I know there's another way. How, how have you found the edge paint? So the products that you've made, they've just over time they 
patinaed? Have they just kept the same gloss to them, or like there's been no chips or cracking or anything like that? No issues with with that. Yeah. So my one of my one of my buddies he he purchased a wallet for me like when I was first starting starting out, um, and this was probably after about a, not first starting out but about about a year in. Um, so he's had the actual wallet for about a year and a half now. Um, but it's, it's held really well. Um, and it, the gloss finish that I was applying at that time, um, is in still good contact. It, 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 there's no like real blemishing there. It's not like there's any, there's no chipping whatsoever. The only part that has some cracking is that the big, is the, the pinch in the bend on the bifold itself. Mm -hmm. Um, but pretty minuscule. Um, and to be honest, I feel like trying to, to fix it up would be not too hard to apply because I would re I would just sand it back down and, and reapply it if you wanted it touched up. Yeah, I heard it's, it's yeah when you if you re it's pretty easy to um, fix like any edge problems. What what actually got you in? Like, how did you find out about edge edge paint or? Well, it was more so like when I when I was starting to get interested in like what I wanted to make. I just started realizing that everything that I was gravitated towards had painted edges. They were, even if it was just black on a black wallet or, um, you know, just a very basic colored edge, I, I really liked that look. Um, and so I just, from there, the, just that interest just sparked um, wanting to do that. And when I was, had to, when I switched from Tandy going in that store um, to um, going to online stores, they were offering edge paints. And actually, one of the Parker's videos, he he did a video on how to apply edge paint. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I, I know. I, I can. I'm sort of picturing that as you. <laughs> and and so he he was actually I think using Vernice edge paint at that time. Yeah. So um, that's where I heard of Vernice, and then I saw it on the Rocky Mountain Leather Supply website, and so I just started purchasing it. Yeah, I, I actually I remember when I saw that video, I was actually contemplating getting edge paint. Actually, I didn't know that there was such a huge process. I just thought it was just like a burnish, like you just like a no different to an edge dye. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I remember seeing that video actually. Yeah, a different thing too. I've seen a lot of that, and some edge dyeing can come out really beautiful. It's just something I've I don't know. I haven't really wanted to learn yet. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that that's actually going back to the edge paint. That's the one. One of the cool things I do like about edge paint is that you can get really distinct colors, like yes. that sort of that pink that you did on that wallet. Um, yeah. With I think with a dye you couldn't get that pop. I don't know, like because the dye seeps into the leather, whereas the edge paint sort of sits on top and it sort of gives it that nice look. Right, and rounds it. Yeah, it rounds yeah. it too. Like it does create kind of a rounded top when you apply all the layers. It does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can get a lot more vibrant colors, which is, I mean, if, if you're interested in that, not everyone wants to make vibrant pieces, but yeah, with the pink and I have a lot of oranges and reds and blues, but it's like, it just adds a different aesthetic to it. Yeah, I do want to learn edge painting because it's just like another skill to have just in case someone requests it. Or especially well, if you use exotic skins like alligator and, you know, mm -hmm. you, you sort of need to know how to edge paint. So that's probably the downside to just burnishing i guess yeah i never really thought about that 
but yeah, that that is a good point. There there is a point where you kind of need to use edge paint depending upon the materials you're using, because it's just not going to burnish. That, that's one. Of, that's why I like kangaroo because kangaroo's like it's very it's thin, but it's very like burnishable. Like you can still burnish an edge with kangaroo. Right. It's uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's nice. What would you like to improve? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a loaded question, but, uh, I mean, for me at least, because I just, I want it, I want to be able to make, like, I just want it to look like a, a machine did it almost, like, it's so perfect that it's just like, how did a person make that? So it's just like, I forever want to, you know, increase my fundamentals, but the big thing for me right now is my stitching. Mm-hmm. Um, I like stitching corners, and I, I think I need to get some different pricking irons, because um, I'm using chisels currently, but stitching corners is a is kind of a different difficult task for me like just you know the corner to to make a right angle or if you're doing a rounded edge to go around that that's a little easier but that exact 90 degree point that's that's kind of something i want to refine and back stitching too that that gives me some complications that very that make me very upset sometimes i I could help you with um with corner stitching and uh yeah so so when you approach a corner so i go right to left so when you get to the if this is a sharp corner, like sharp corner, 90 degrees. So you, you go from, and then just before you hit the corner, like your corner stitch, instead of using a pricking iron, use an awl and punch a round hole with the awl. Not a, not a, not a slanted awl or a diamond shaped awl, but a, just a round awl. So have that corner hole, not a pricking iron slanted, have a round hole. And then for the next one, you just you just um, use your pricking irons to to go back from that hole as a, if it was a normal pricked hole hole. So then when you so when you stitch when you hit that hole, you have to you have to do it and let me know because I don't want to put this out. And but I'm pretty sure like I'm I'm like ninety nine point nine percent certain that's how you do it. But yeah, having that hole there allows the stitch to connect straight with the, the next slanted hole because yeah because if you have if the, i use the chisel then it it can it can skew it yeah like it depends so if you go from like left to right it can really make it really look weird and same if you go from right to left it can make it look weird as well so having a round a round hole on the corner that's a good way that's how you i do it and that's how you get. That's right. I, I need that. Yeah. And I've been moved to the pricking irons. It was just I bought the chisels when I first started at Tandy, and I literally haven't purchased anything since mm-hmm. for when it comes to the stitching portion. Yeah. And with back stitching, you just don't cast. So do you know. That's what. That's what's been going on. Yeah. I. Yeah. And so, but it also feels different. So, do you? When you're, do you stitch towards yourself? Uh yes yeah, and because there's different different places where you should cast and you you shouldn't cast. So oh, I love stitching. Like the conversation I had with Charlie about stitching was oh yeah that was, that was solid. Um that was fine. yeah yeah. So because so when you like your traditional saddle stitch, so when you put the needle through, and and you have you make the cross, you pull it out, and then you go back right. to the in you go in with the top with the rock yeah oh with, the top yeah pulling with the, down and then you thread 
pulling up, pushing up on the top through the, yeah. Yeah, and then you put it through, and then you cast the thread over, and then you pull left hand, right okay. hand down, left hand up. Yeah, yeah. So, um, in the stitch thing, in the in the hole, the threads cross over, and that's good for like thick pieces of leather because the the thread has time to actually sort of make a knot over each other. But with thin leather, so if you're using like, um, just say if you're stitching a, well, probably a tea pocket, you probably won't, re- won't really need to worry about. But if you're stitching like thin leather, the thread won't have enough room to make a knot. So when you, I can't, so when you, if you cast, uh, if you, so if you do cast on thin pieces of leather, it doesn't mm-hmm. allow you to get that angled yeah. stitch. I yes. remember that, that highlight information. Yeah, so you just don't cast. And you you get that more angled stitch, but you'll get a more straighter stitch on the back stitch. But that's that's like that's fine. But um it it allows you to get that angled stitch. Uh yeah, so yeah, with back stitching you just don't cast. It was a um headache for me because all your all your normal stitching would be fine, but then your back stitching would be it would ruin my day. It would um, <laughs> it'd be all wrong. So yeah, and because because back stitching can be so obvious as well, like especially on like a minimalist wallet, because the you start at one point and you finish at one point, right. you can sort of see those obvious back stitching. So yeah, no, that's yeah, fine. it definitely that helps a lot because. Mm. Trying, I kept casting, and I would sometimes even try not casting. But it was like, I still felt like my the piece was coming out inconsistent when it came to the back stitch. So I was like, I, I must be doing something wrong, or I must be, yeah. But that that, that makes that makes more sense. Another, ca- yeah, another thing is what you can do, like when you, so when you do your back stitch, don't just pull it immediately to a stitch. Like you can, you can let it go slowly and then you can use like an awl to actually place where you want the stitch to be. Like you can, if, yeah. so if you want the thread to go over the top of the other thread, you can do that. So you can actually adjust where you want the thread to sit. So it doesn't, yeah, that's another thing as well. Yeah. I do that too with my needle, but even then, like sometimes I'll find that like, it looks like one stitch might be a little longer than the other. Like they almost don't, look even in mm-hmm. length yeah. i find that i don't know if that's a product of using chisels and my holes are just so big um compared to using a pricking iron and an all mm-hmm. a smaller refined hole yeah but yeah for the casting is not helping so i, okay. I will stop yeah uh, that's one thing i probably would like to learn a bit better is to learn because because i do re- i do reverse pricking on a lot of a lot of my stuff, except except for if it's thin leather, you just go all the way through. Um, yeah, using being able to use a pricking iron and just an awl, and being being able to stitch straight, like through the the back the the back. Yeah, I remember when I got my pricking irons because they're quite small. The I, I sort of like that refined look, so they're a bit more of a smaller hole I guess and I remember I wasn't using an awl at all and oh no just, just pushing the needle through was is was such um tired <laughs> yeah like hurt you hurt you hurt your fingers and all that sort of stuff and I remember my, I remember making this women's long wallet 
And yeah, my fingers would be sore and just dreading having to do that again. And then when I got an awl and learned how to sharpen it, it just yeah made made all the difference. So yeah, yeah. A stitching was definitely one of those things that when I started it, learning it first, it was the most frustrating thing to learn. But once you start learning it, it's the most satisfying thing to do. Yeah, I remember um, the guy who sort of took me under his wing and helped me. Um, That's nice. I remember making a can because I'm making making. I remember making this kangaroo wallet, and it was it was just frustrating because. You know, you'd make one wallet and the stitch would be absolutely perfect. And you're like, yes, I've actually, like, I've got the saddle stitch down. And then you're like, next one would be, the stitch would be off. And I, and I just I just couldn't work out. I was like, what am I doing wrong? Like, I'm trying to, yeah, so I know exactly what you mean. Just to, it is a, a bit of a process to get the saddle stitch. But yeah, like, when you get it done, you're just thinking, how did I spend so much time on this? This is such a, the most basic concept, but it took... Um, right it's hard to wrap your mind around that yeah that. so um yeah no that's interesting so so items you would want to make in the future bags yes that's, that's the next thing i mean i i'm gonna make a uh, i want to make but i want to make more of a female focused item more like a coin purse because they, they're not necessarily going to buy my wallets maybe a card holder but i want to do a, a woman focused product more so with like it has like a zipper purse um like a like a risk wrist purse you know what i'm talking about oh yeah yeah like it, yeah it has a wristlet on it it's and like it a pencil like, case point. sort of thing yeah it holds yeah. the phone it holds you know whatever yeah. else they need as you know wallet um stuff involved in it but yeah uh, bags is the priority that I would like to get yeah. into. I've, I mean, like weekend bags, all that. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually starting a bag when all the materials arrive. So I'm doing this little women's handbag, and I'm sort of I'm really excited for it because it's um, it, it's it's going to be a challenge to do. But it's sort of the fact that you have all the I, I feel like I've got all the all the fundamentals down pat. Like you know, so. I'll be using different techniques like a rolled handle. I've never done a rolled handle before, but the concept of it is makes sense and the stitching of it is pretty simple anyway. So you sort of have that stitching part of it down. It's just the Right. But yeah, um yeah, I do want to get into bags more, so uh But that's a great first step and like you know, that's why I kinda wanna start with, you know, like a, a co- like a wrist coin purse is cause like, well, I can work with zippers for the first time. Yeah, you know, like I haven't yeah. For yet, so I can work with something small that's kind of like a wallet s thing, and then maybe I can apply that to a bag, you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's a cool process, and yeah, and that that'll be a project that's gonna start you into that direction for sure. Yeah, zip, zippers are interesting because you know you sort of dread. I, I know I dread doing them, but they they're cool to do. But when you learn to be competent with them. It just, yeah, expands, you know, your horizons a lot. Because, uh, yeah. Because, you know, a lot of customers want zippers. Like, people like zippers. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think I remember I was, or, you know, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a duffel bag without zippers just to, so I don't have to use zippers. But it's like, you know, I don't think people would, you know, I, when I think of a duffel bag, I think of zippers. Like, it just has to have a zip. Right. So, no, it 
it's a staple to the piece yeah. pretty much i mean that's how they they that's like traditional duffel bag mm. um so what's your favorite item to make so far it's been been the cards the card holders and my most recent kind of interpretation of like a bifold version yep. of my holder. Uh, like uh, in that it, it kind of it's not stitched all the way around so you can open up it's like the the front of the card holder like you'll be able to look in the back of it like you'll be able to put that in cash behind mm. it on that piece but yeah I definitely I really like that piece it's it's fun to make um, but no those are those are my most fun projects to make right now just because I like how well they turn out yeah I like how they yeah um so you mainly just use buttery for those. I saw that green. Yeah, that looked nice. Of, yeah, you've, I've been using a lot of buttery. Yeah. Um, I actually changed um, and started using not changed, but started incorporating using this. It's the closest thing you can get to shell cordovan, but it's like calf skin um, cordovan um, finished. But mm-hmm. I buy it from um, Rocky Mountain Leather Supply too. Yeah, um, they they have a good they have it, a really good supply list. Yeah, they do, but that calfskin leather is, it, it it's not it's not no shell cordovan by any means, but it, it it's beautiful. I mean, it, it has a great gloss to it. It doesn't mark nearly as much as buttero, which is I mean that's part of buying those leathers too. Is you know you want it to mark and patina and age with the product and give it character. But this other stuff of like if you don't want your stuff to mark, this this calfskin stuff is is that i mean it it like i put a nail to it like my fingernail and scratched hard and nothing i thought you uh, meant like a hammer nail was like... <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> no my fingernail yeah but no it's that, that stuff's really beautiful and it it holds really well and it smells really good too yeah i mean most love though <laughs> except for some of the chrome tan stuff i don't like that yeah I, I haven't used chrome tan i was i was thinking of um i was thinking of thinking of getting some but it's uh because I know you can get combination tan. Is that a chrome tan? Combination. I, I, I think that's a combination of vegetable and. Is that a combination of vegetable and chrome? I've never bought yeah. a combination. Like, leather, so yeah, sure. I, I haven't used just chrome before, but um, yeah, I was. Yeah, I got the... one by, and, and it just smelled fishy. Like it was like <laughs> something was like I was like this doesn't smell like leather. Like I don't want to even use it. Yeah, it, it was just so different. Yeah. Yeah. But I just got this shell cordovan for the first I actually got it today, my first shinky shell. And I I mean like most people have probably said, you're not gonna want to go back and that is very true. It is so nice and soft and I think it's the most beautiful finish I've ever seen. Like it's just so waxy and clean. Yeah. I've never used it. I wanna see how long I can go without using it. <laughs> Try try and go a while without it because yeah I mean and, and it's hard because it's not like the customer's gonna know well actually, oh wow actually fine. Mitch Mitch um he we did a keyring swap and the one he gave me was shell cord event so I have seen it and touched it and smelt it in real life and it is it is a cool material so I'm, I'm not gonna downplay it but yeah I've um I've never used it before <laughs> I just I have thought about using it. Like I've seen the price, but it's like oh, I don't know what to, I don't know what I'd make with it. And and because right. there's, and because there's so many vibrant colors, I feel I like because I I, I want I probably don't want to get anything that's just blue. 
Actually, I like the marble ones. I think the marble ones the are marble cool. The marble ones, yeah, they were sold out. I was going to get one of those, but they were sold out. I yeah. But, yeah. no, man, I, I definitely think you should, like, I'm only, I'm, the big reason I'm doing it is, is uh, a buddy of mine wants me to use this leather to make one for his, for his dad. Yeah. Um, so he, he basically paid me up front so I could buy the shell. Um, because cool. it is, it was $237 for almost two square feet. Like that's, that's expensive stuff. Um, and that makes maybe four wallets total if I'm making just card holders. Um, but it's, it's just so beautiful. Like, I mean, it, it's, I, I feel like it's worth it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, just looking at it right now, it's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, because I feel like for my if I ever did get show and I'm not writing it off, I just I couldn't get black or dark brown. <laughs> like, oh, you got to do, yeah. do it. You know, if if I was using it regularly, I'd you know get black or dark brown. But the um, yeah, it's a uh... no, that's beautiful. It's yeah, shinky the shinky ones and Michelle, yeah plain colors i got a plain brown because the person i'm making it for is doesn't want anything flashy so yeah i i had to go by that but it's still so beautiful like yeah. i wouldn't normally buy brown but it's still like that good yeah marbled ones are amazing looking and i it's sort of a rabbit hole when it comes to shell quarter van because it's you know you got <laughs> so much to choose from it's you know pick one you know <laughs> right like how you know the, the caramel looks nice the uh Oh, I I really wanted to try that one. The cedar looks nice. The cherry red looks nice. It's oh probably not. Sure. Yeah, actually I do like the caramel. That looks nice. I got the cognac. I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Very camel. classy. Wait, ca- camel, not caramel. I think it's. Yeah. Totally. It looks like caramel. Yeah. It does. It's so. It's like honey. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a rabbit hole because it's just so beautiful. You'll just be like, you'll just keep looking at it, you know. Yeah. But the butteros are very quality leathers too, and that other calfskin that I mentioned are very is a good leather too. Like, I mean, that's 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 high quality leather. You're already buying high grain. Yeah, leather. I know that. Yeah, yeah. You're already buying top of the top of the line, regardless. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Leather stamp. Yeah. Making. Um. I know that that brand in America they're really popular for. They're quite well known for the stamp. Like you know, you can buy a set of stamps from them. Yeah, you were talking about getting the the alphabetical stamps from that. Yeah, those yeah those things are. I don't. I actually I don't have a um. What's it called? I don't have a heat press or hot foil press, but it's kind of like oh, yeah. I feel like they have a really good reputation. The leather stamp makers. They do. I I I highly recommend them. I, it was hard for me to find, like how I was going to get my stamps made at first. And so when I stumbled upon them, and it was like they literally—I mean, leather stamp maker—that's what they focus mm. on. Um, it, it, and I started seeing like the, the quality of their pieces, and that it was brass, and it was going to hold for a long time. It's very strong and durable. I was like, this is this is worth it. It, mm. it was definitely was. It was definitely worth it. It wasn't too expensive, um, and that stuff should last a long time. Mm-hmm. And, very pretty stamp. Yeah, it does look nice. Not really shiny and all that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. There's hobbies outside leather craft. Well, that's kind of a hard one. I mean, I, I'm i kind of just so dedicated to, 
building the leather craft that that's that's my focus i work full time so it's like i go do that i go 40 hours a week and i come home and i work on this so that's i don't really have another hobby it, it can be very consuming that's for sure yeah it, it really can it as much as you want to take in yeah i li- i was using stitching chisels and i was using these japanese ones yeah and i found that when you would if you yanked them, like if you rocked them side to side to pull them out, you could snap the teeth very easily. Oh, and, uh, definitely. Yes, yeah, so I, I snapped like the the four the four teeth. I snapped both. I snapped one, bought another one, snapped that, and I was just down to using just a two t- two tooth. So I was. Oh no! So literally, I was just using a two tooth for eight for ages, <laughs> and <laughs> um, you're fine for you're just adapting. Yeah, well, I was just like, you know, I'm not going to spend, I'm not going to spend, you know, more money They're just buying expensive. another, you know, just to have the teeth break. So I'll just stick with the two tooth for a while. And yeah, man, I was, I was, I had that for, you know, I probably go back to my Instagram and. Man, what wallets are... I made... So you're using European-style freaking iron, then? Yeah, so yes, it's the slanted... It's it's not diamond, it's uh, slanted. So yeah, even up to... Man, even the the bifolds that I made were two... I think they were two-prong. Yeah, just went through two-prong all the way around the bifold, takes ages, and then, yeah, then... Uh... Yeah, Joe put out the video, and I got some. But then I didn't. I got them, used them, didn't like them because I didn't know how to use an all. So they just sort of sat there, and I went back to the two prong. And then when I spoke to Charlie, he 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 he, talk, he spoke about the reverse pricking and like left-handed, right-handed pricking irons. So I was like, oh, I want to try left. I want to try reverse pricking. So I have to get another set so I bought the left-handed version of them and so I bought the left-handed ones and I think it wasn't until I sort of learned how to use an awl it it made stitching I appreciated stitching a lot better so the good thing about the Abbey ones is that they come in the small size you can get the large ones I got the small ones and they are very small like for the size of my hands they're quite, I wish I'd probably, I'd like to get some of the bigger ones eventually, but, you know, with me, it's like, if it doesn't, if it's not broken, just don't fix it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so expensive, those tools, once you get into the breaking irons, it's not, that's not a cheap tool. Yeah. These and it's kind of like, you know, if I buy the biggest set, then I have two sets of the exact same size, you know? <laughs> yeah. So... I was thinking about selling them, just to oh, know, someone wants them. But uh, yeah, that's that idea. Yeah, that's the next thing I need to buy is because I started with the chisels, and I, I mean, I'm I'm probably doing the best stitching I can with the chisels. I'm I'm still surprised I can even get my jagged edge for them to layer like that um, with such having such a big hole. So I definitely need to move to the pricking irons. That's probably gonna be the next thing I buy. I'm just I've been kind of nervous to relearn. Or have to have to learn the all because I haven't had to use it. Mm. You know, 
fizzle. It, it goes all the way through. And even when I do, I try to, I don't try and go all the way through. I try and just poke through the back. So it just leaves a smaller hole in the back, but I don't have to use the all to finish the job. So it's just yeah. like, I don't nervous to try that new process. Actually, um, that's one thing that sort of did bug me about pricking irons. I mean, not pricking irons, um, punching all the way through is that, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it can be angled. Like, even though you punch yep. all the way through, you can be angled. So that's one of the things that I like about reverse pricking. It takes longer to do, but you do get an even all the way through on both sides. Right. Um, yeah, so... That was the biggest... That was the hardest thing for me to overcome with the chisels. Well, especially because when I would make a thicker project, I started with thicker leather. I'm using thinner now, but, like, it... it it would be angled. It would be your back, your front stitch might look good, like the inside. And then you go to the back and it would be like, Oh, it kind of slants in a little bit, slants out a little bit. And it was just hard to keep that a nice line. Um, I've granted, I've you know been able to refine that and be able to make it straight in the back. But yeah, that's definitely something that's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, I actually, I did ask the discord chat some days ago about what pricking irons are good for the beginners. And they sort of said, like Kevin Lee ones, they're pretty good. Um, I hear a lot of Amy Roke talk. Yeah, Amy Roke, but they're like t- top of the line. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd actually like to hear someone talk about them because actually Martin did do a good video on in- Instagram where he walks, talks about different pricking irons and he's good because he, he, he he's interested in sort of useful tools, not just like expensive useless tools of tools if that makes sense like you know right he just wants tools that are practical but you know expensive tools can be practical but yeah he he finished he recently finished his collection of amy rokes and uh yeah uh, yeah it'd be cool to be able to hear someone actually talk about them and you know what's so special special about them um right they better produce some of the best holes i've ever seen yeah you're spending that much. Yeah. Actually, I heard um, also like if you punch through Stingray, that can break your teeth. I'm... Whoa. Yeah. I've never had to break those, so. Yeah, so. But that's the... strong. Yeah, so. Yeah, I've never used Stingray before, but um, yeah, so. I, yeah, Martin was saying about how he uses his cheaper ones on, you know, Stingray, stuff like that, but, you know, save this expensive ones for other ones. I know I like nine spaces per inch. That's what I use. I think that's a good. Yeah, balance. that's a little. What I'm currently using, I think I'm. I think I'm doing an eight SPI. Yeah, but yeah, I wouldn't mind getting an eight. Um, just for maybe for belts. I use nine on my belts at the moment, but. That's one thing. I'm belt stitching a belt would just be. A long time. <laughs> that would take uh, a long. Well. Well, well um, I, if you do probably. like a all the way around the belt, it take yeah, it takes ages. But yeah, it's just it's just mainly the thickness of the leather and you know with the oil and all that sort of stuff. So in machine stitch, like and like they say too, it it, it doesn't last as long. It's it's more susceptible to wear and tear and breaking. And if it does break, then the rest of the seam will come out. Unlike a saddle stitch where it's intertwined within each stitch, and so if it breaks in one area, it's not going to untwine. Yeah, I know. The one thing I have, um. I made a kangaroo wallet some years ago, actually, and 
the annoying thing was that because the, the thread did pop out again, and it sort of did a bit unravel. Oh. Yeah, so yeah, huh. it's, it's mainly just getting that. As long as you can get that thread secure, like in the, I know some people use flame. I use PVA glue to, uh, just to stop it from. I, I do use flames. I use fire, yeah, but creates a scorch to look though. Darkens the thread a little bit. But yeah, you use glue and do you just push it in with an awl then? Yeah, so like you a, just you just put like a bit of you just put a bit of glue, PVA on the end of you can an awl, and then you just sort of because um, it's handy because when the thread gets the 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 wetness of the glue, it sort of gets easy to push back into the hole because it's um, you don't have all those fibers sticking up, and yeah, you just push it back into the hole, and you just get your thumb and just wipe off the the, the surface oh. and. It's, yeah, because I found that, um, especially with the flames, some some leather can burn easily. Yeah. So you can get that, um, especially maybe if you're using a veg, uh, maybe a natural veg. But yeah, I noticed that. Some, and or sometimes I was using I was using use linen thread. So sometimes the thread doesn't burn as easy as the polyester. Like polyester burns so easy, like it just goes like straight down into the hole. Linen can be a bit stubborn sometimes. Yeah, I haven't had to work with the linen. I've only used the polyester thread, unless tiger thread is not polyester, but... Um, yeah, tiger yeah. thread's polyester. Okay. Then, yeah, but yeah, no, the flames, they, they bring it down really easy. It's like a yeah. dynamo goes straight down. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, yeah. But I know with I know with belts as well, so... If you make any items like belts or dog leads or whatever, it's mm-hmm. it's better to to stitch parallel, like along the edge, not across the leather. Because I think I think it's like it's it's more of a weaker stitch if it goes across the leather as opposed to parallel to it. And I think it's it's more of a saddlery tradition. Like if you look in equestrian and bridal like bridles yeah. and all that, it's always. But yeah, it's um. Yeah, I know it is a beautiful little skill. That's just been hard for me. Is like I, I watch a lot of YouTube videos and I did I learned everything pretty much everything from that. But I'm not as good learning from that as I am like when I was listening to the podcast. It was just easier for me to listen to people conversate about it and and think about it than it was to like remember the video that I watched and or even bring the video to me and try and interpret what they're doing. Oh, really? They're okay. Just sometimes it, yeah. it's like. I've, I've watched so many videos on backstitching that it's like, how have I not gotten it yet? You know, like, how, how am I still struggling with it? Yeah. It's like, I'm like someone to show me. Like, I need to have it actually done in front of me. Yeah. Um, or, like, you learn the concept as to why it's done. Like, you know, I remember you, you see the saddle stitching and you're like, like, but why are they flicking the thread over? Like, once you know what right. the reason why and the re because it's and then you know why you shouldn't be doing why you shouldn't back you know cast on thin thin leather because it won't have enough room to be able to it sort of then that makes sense like okay that makes sense as to why you would do this as opposed to hey just throw the shirt over and let right arm down left arm up just do that yeah, <laughs> yeah so i know that that's sort of I'm sort of the similar. I need to understand like why, you know, how does yeah. a helicopter fly? How does a plane take off? You know, 
Why does... No, I, I definitely feel like it, it just helps you put the whole piece together, the whole yeah. understanding. And like, there was some that I remember Marn was saying that I, I was like, oh yeah, it was like how to, how to like basically finish a thinner leather, like a really like, like two ounce and under leather, um, because you can't bevel it, you know, yeah. with, with your beveler. And I was like, I couldn't, I wasn't being able to find a video on YouTube that explained this or like how to how to get my edge to be beveled on such a small leather. And it wasn't until like the Martin or someone on your podcast was like, Oh, you sand it. He's yeah. like, I just get burned. And I on a like a light angle. I just sand it down. Mm-hmm. And I'm like light bulb. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, that's what I, that's exactly what I need to know. And, Cause like yeah. for painting is what well, I like to, I like to bevel the edge. And so I wanted to bevel my pockets, but they were so small that it was like, it wasn't working, but once I learned how to do it with the sanding, it was like, well, it solved everything right there. Yeah, and that's an annoying thing as well because, um, like, some leather can be, unless you, like, if you're working with firmer leather, if it's thin, mm-hmm. you can bevel it, but if you're working with a softer leather, you'll just cr- ruin that whole edge by beveling it, but... Yeah. Yeah, I remember, yeah, that's actually someone actually, the guy who sort of mentored me, he sort of said, with kangaroo, he said, just sand it. I just sand the edge and yeah, I know it's such, I know you'd be surprised at how, how well it works as well. You know, it works very well, (laughs) actually better than my beveler. Yeah. So yeah, it just, uh, it's handy as well because, um, do you know when sometimes you burnish the, the sides can just like mushroom over the side. If you just get sandpaper, you just go like straight across it, just like, just takes that whole edge off, but you can, yeah. you know, you can always bevel, but it really yeah. crisp up, it really crisps up the item. It's small. It's funny, those small things. And that's what, that's what I find that I miss in the YouTube is like, I find YouTube videos that are general fundamentals. I have found some that are like into, into saddle stitching and that's very helpful, but it's been hard for me to find certain spe- very specific detailed processes and that's where it's like that's where it's hard to get the information mm-hmm. and like uh, granted not everyone's going to try and get to those points or want to get to certain levels where they're caring about that much of it but um it, it is just hard to get that information but it's also like again like your podcast was able to give me some of those tidbits nuggets there yeah. old, like i wasn't going to find that in a youtube video at least it would take me a long time mm-hmm yeah, it's yeah, it's some. It, I know it's the finer de- details that you you can mess up on. Like you know, you can have a good saddle stitch, but like you said, you know, you you struggled with your back stitch, and it's sort of. And it's only like one thing. Like just don't cast. Like <laughs> it's yeah. like it. You know, simple. I know it, it. You know, it's um. Yeah, it's uh, it's not like a full in depth thing. It's just like just don't cast. So. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. I know what you mean. Like just the little nuggets of, um, just to like fine up your work and make it look good. Yeah, it's, uh, crucial information that just helps you tweak those fine. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think yeah. I just think you just, yeah. So it's a. Uh, but uh, well, like and also too, like when I first started making my patterns, like I didn't do trim allowance. I was trying to cut out every piece to the exact size oh, yeah. and then fit them there right and then all my layers were all jumbled and and it, it wasn't until i learned to uh, allow some trim allowance 
that I was like, wow, that's how you make a super flush edge. That's how you make it super clean. And now when I burnish it or paint it, it doesn't look like it has little notches in it or yeah. you know whatever. Yeah. And especially when you use a sharp blade for your oh, trim, trimmer, so it, it just, yeah, it just, uh, you know, I've done it with a, with a blunt blade before and it just, the sharp blade just makes a huge difference. Um, it, it's game changing. I remember much- you talked about uh, stropping, like you were afraid to sharpen your knives for the first time. And like, I was at that point too, where I was like, I've had these knives for a bit. I haven't sharpened them. They're getting dull. And I'm like, I'm just afraid to sharpen them. But once you just kind of learn, which isn't that hard of a process, once you just kind of learn how to do, keep your stuff sharp, it makes everything so much. Yeah, and especially like you know, um, it was it was good to hear when Martin was saying about how, you know, you mainly just need to sh- shop it to keep it sharp. Like you don't need to like. You don't need a wet sandpaper. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you can always, you know, if you got a tool, you can always, you know, sh- like make it even more sharper, but. Yeah, sometimes, you know, just a good stropping can get a blade sharp, um, unless it's, you know, damaged. Totally. But... Yeah, that's when you, that's when I feel like you bring out the wet sandpaper. But, like, for, like, my skiving knife, like, I've just been stropping before I skive with it, and the thing cuts like butter every time. That's it's cool. not even, just a couple strokes. I mean, you don't have to sit there, yeah. like, stropping. You just hit each angle a, a few times, and then do your piece you know so 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 prior to that episode martin's episode you would have instructed your stuff prior to that i wasn't i don't think i i think i attempted to sharpen my knives one time prior to that yeah i think i was probably similar as well, <laughs> well i did I, you just you just don't because like the whole yeah you just don't think no like, i just didn't even didn't, know that you had to take care of your knives you know it just I think that just shows how that I don't know, there's there's so much more extra skills that you forget about. It, yeah, it, it all adds to it. Like I never, I never, I mean, I knew I I need my knife sharp, but it's never. I never sat there and was like, oh, I need to make sure my knives are always sharp. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. My looking that beautiful is because well, your knives are really sharp, so they cut super smooth. You know. Yeah. It's those tiny little things and upkeep. Like, I didn't think I had to sharpen my edge beveler, and I was like, wow, I do need to keep that sharp. And then I noticed a huge difference in my edge beveling. Well, actually, I, I need to get a new edge beveler. I got a number three, and I may, I've mentioned about it, I think, last episode. And it, it, it's so blunt, but it works. But I've had two instances where I've been, like, forcing forcing it, and it slipped and, like, hit my finger. And Oh, you know, so yeah. it's like, man, <laughs> you know, the saying, a sharp knife is a, it's a safe knife, you know, you just, because yeah, they are dangerous, you know, they're, you know, with a, with a blunt tool, you know, you can yeah, do you some, get, you can uh, do some damage. Yeah, easily. And so, I've definitely done myself too. Mm. The edge beveler, I, I recommend getting a really nice one. I got a, I think it's a Palisanto. Oh, everyone has a Palisanto, but me. <laughs> it. I got a zero or a one, one yeah. of the really ones, but it is, I mean, out the box, it's butter. That thing is beautiful. Yeah. It's green. Does, um, do they come in size three? I think they do. I think it goes zero to three. Yeah. Because I wouldn't even, like, the Weaver ones are pretty good anyway, like, and 
Well, the, the, the Zero's hard on thin leather. Like, that's the good thing about the Palo Santo ones. And those ones that sort of get really narrow is that they're good on thin leather. Yeah, um, definitely. Everyone has Palo Santos. I think I'm, I'm like, the only per- person in leathercraft who <laughs> doesn't have one. <laughs> like, your, are... your, your newbie that, like, starts out by Palo Santo. <laughs> Here's well, me I using bought... a number three that I've for my belts yeah. and all that. Have the good pricking iron. You have the good chisels, and I'm sure you have other good tools. Like, I I started with a different edge beveler. I just didn't like how big it was making my bevels. I wanted something thinner, and I had a little extra money. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to treat myself to a nice tool. It was like the nicest tool I bought at that time. Yeah, like, that I was think... the nice ad was that edge beveler. Actually, what is my most expensive tool? Probably edge beveler, actually. Or my actually, head knife. Actually, wing dividers are pretty expensive. Like, a good wing... I bought, like, the Oz, OS Born ones because I wanted them made yeah, in the United States because they're... I was like, I wanted something made in America because they're good quality, so I bought those. Yeah, they're pretty expensive, so... Yeah, those are nice. OS, OS Osborne, yeah. They make great tools. I've wanted to buy some stuff from them. I just haven't. So where did you get your head knife from? Is that the round knife? Um, yeah, so... You got a round think, knife. Yeah, I use a... It's a, has like a half moon. Wow, yeah, I want to get one of them. Yeah, I know. I, I've seen a lot of quarter versions. Um, yeah. Those look sweet, but you keep that thing sharp. And like I think you were describing on the podcast I'm doing now, like there's a lot of edges to, to yeah. sharpen. But if you, if, you, if you strop on a regular basis or at least decently frequently, then you'll keep your edge sharp, and you just need a few strokes on each angle. And it's, yeah. you kind of get the process. I mean, it, take, it takes me a few minutes to get it going, and then I do my piece, and it's great. I wanna, but it's just the ability. Yeah, I want to get a head knife. I just That's just like the leather craftsman's tool. Yeah. Like, even though I, I, And because and it's, it's handy as well, because if you're cutting... Um, you can roll the knife and you don't get that separate cut, if that makes sense, like you would with a skiving knife if you were cutting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that feature too, where you yeah. can roll. helps a lot. But then you can also like go on the very corner of the edge and it's just like a, it's like almost like a tiny blade. Like you can do very intricate cutting if you're that good. Yeah. But you can use it for that. Or you can put the blade down at like a quarter angle and it's a very long blade. But then you have a lot of power and, and strength behind it, so it just cuts so well. That's, so you can use it as a sky. Yeah, you can use it as a skiving knife as well. I think you can. I've never done it, but I've seen people do it. I just use a traditional skiving knife. Yeah, yeah. For like for like a belt, you can use it. Like I'm not sure how. You, yeah, I probably, I probably wouldn't use it as a skiving knife on like a tea pocket or something. So so where did you get your head knife from? I think I got it from Tandy. Do you have a sheath for it? Do you make a sheath? No, I actually... Oh. That's the last sheath I need to make. I, yeah. I have one. Um, I wrap it in a towel right now. Like if, yeah. I just keep it on spot and I put it on a towel and I just fold the towel over that. Yeah. To keep the, but yeah, I need to make a sheath for it really bad. Yeah. Yeah, I know George Barnsley make one in the UK. That's probably the one I want to get. Is it a pretty tool as well? Yeah, they... Yeah. It is. You can get really cool looking ones. Yeah. Not that you need to spend all that so, money, but I, I probably I probably would 
what what I would do, I probably would get it. See how sharp it is, and if it, if it, if I just wanted to get it extremely sharp, just for the sake of having it extremely sharp, I'd just take it to someone to get it sharpened, just to. Yeah. Because I just like yeah, there's just way too many edges on it, and I don't want to ruin it. Yeah. See, sorry. Yeah, it's like we're not good enough to handle something like that. Mm. Or at least it'd be too risky. I'd be too nervous doing it. Yeah. So. No, that's awesome. Yeah, I definitely recommend the head knife because I was using more of a box cutter at first and cutting towards myself. That's what um, I use. Yeah, and, and that does the job well. And they're just I reusable ones. I would just flip them out, you know, yeah. pop it out, put a new one in. But then I started using the the head knife, and actually more recently, probably the last few months, just I've had it for a while, and I would use it on occasion, but I didn't use it primarily as my knife. And now it's like I use my head knife as the knife, and it's like really? I, I really. Yeah, I've recently made the change, and I really enjoy it because I get to push away from myself too. Yeah. I feel like I'm in more control. It is big, and it's kind of scary because you know, put your face down there, and maybe your fingers on a ruler, and you got to make sure you do anything. But I mean, you get used to it. Yeah, you just get used to it, and you get to know how to how to really properly handle it without injuring yourself. But does it, does it cut through? Does it cut through the cutting mat? quite smooth when you're pushing away because i know people use the rotary cutters yeah you, that's another option oh yeah the, yeah it's like a pizza cutter yeah but you all us would be a pizza cutter i don't know if everyone's calls it a pizza cutter but um i've seen those it it um but like pushing pushing away from it does it cut as smoothly because i feel like i feel like it'd be my vision is like it it doesn't I'm just worried, like, say if you have your ruler down and you're pushing, do you feel like you push the ruler away from you, if that makes sense? Oh, no, I guess not. Oh, so yeah. I use up, like, like, in line with my cut, so I'm facing it directly straight. Like, I won't do it perpendicular to myself. You know, I'll, I'll always cut it forward. Um, but, yeah, I'm always kind of, like, pressing a little bit on my ruler um so it's pushing it to the left a little yeah. bit barely but it's like i i make sure i have the cork back ruler and i make sure that my hands are in a very comfortable position i feel like i have a sturdy grip and then i don't try and cut the whole thing in one go either yeah. i do like trace line i do like a trace cut okay it's straight went over the top and then i'll go through it a couple more times then it just comes off very smoothly but, and, you, and you'd use the you'd use the very tip because like you'd rotate it so the handle's downwards so you'd have that that really sharp tip on the end of the half moon is that what you'd use that's sort of how I'm pitching or pitching pitching picturing it at first I was using the very tip of the half moon mm -hmm. to, to drive all my cut but now I actually rotate it like a quarter forwards so it's like not necessarily the top of the, the head of the knife is on the ground, but like a, the quarter of it between the, the edge and the hat, the very top. And I just use that to push through. Yeah, okay. Because it's the biggest blade. It's the, yeah. it's like the make it the blade. And I feel like that's probably the more safer way because at least the blades... Face. Right, it's more lighted than it is like if I was just on a balance beam on the edge. Yeah, the corner. that's actually a good point because you have more blade to cut with it as opposed to the edge you might have that little section 
Right. Yeah. And then you have more blade on the ruler too. Like there's more blade touching the ruler because you have yeah. it angled. And so yeah, it definitely it's it's scary. It can be scary, but I've never cut myself with it. And not actually, even not that, even that would, close. That would actually be more safer as well as opposed to having the tip because if you slip with that little tip, you have that whole blade to Yeah. Whereas if you're have majority if you're using majority of the blade to cut the you won't you, you know what i mean top. like yeah if you yeah you won't if you because you're um it's probably more of a physics thing and more center of gravity you know what i mean yo yeah definitely i definitely do you have more blade on the ground you have more blade touching the ruler and there's less blade that's a wrist up top because yeah. you're angled down so your tip is not as high and it's also further in front of you. Yeah. But I mean, it's still risky. Like there was a time that that half moon, the very edge of it, I was like, I, w- I forgot what I was trying to cut, but um, it, it like, I was trying to pull backwards with it a little bit. And like my blade, I, my wrist went back. And so the edge of it went straight into my wrist. Oh, like, yep. 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 Yeah. So, I did that one time and that was scary because it was so sharp. It just, it just went in and out. Um, but that was the closest I've ever been. And that's when I was first using the tool. Um, and since then I've been trying to be a little more cautious and make sure I have a little more blade on the ground and so it didn't, whatnot. It didn't cut you. or It did. It did. The little yeah. tip went in. It, it like punctured. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. Needle. You know, like it just could have kept going in, but I, I stopped it luckily, but wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's like I know the only thing I'm worried is like the fingers of the ruler. And that's like it has to, it would have to be like really sharp as well because you don't want it to be blunt because, you know. And that's yeah, slipping. like you said that's even scarier because if you were doing that and then got caught or stuck and then slipped, like then you just have a lot of blade you're dealing with and that's mm. risky. Especially like with bridal leather as well. I've noticed that using a strap cutter on bridal leather on the thicker stuff, you know, you can be you'll be sh- cutting through the leather and you might hit like a hard spot like a really strong yeah spot so it's like you know with a head knife you don't want to be you want to you want a blade to go like straight through that leather like butter you know you don't want to be hit, hitting that yeah, and then slipping and then bite it so that's interesting I, I think you're the first person i've spoken to that uses a head knife regularly as a their main knife really yeah i'm it's not more leather crafters have it like and a lot of the japanese don't use it either they use these square knives they're like it's almost like they're skiving knife but then they use that for cutting like yeah. towards them. um but a lot of like saddle makers use head knives i believe yeah yeah I've, yeah i just use your normal your normal box cutter um it does the job well yeah you know like for the straight points as well like it and yeah. it sort of it also I guess it's good for like intricate stuff as well, you know. Yeah, it's more fine blade. Yeah. Small so. Area. Yeah, but um, I have used the skiving knife to cut like like the Japanese, like the the more Asian. Yeah. Of the crafters, but I don't know. I just I just haven't. I don't know. I, I just don't like using a sky. I have. I actually have three skiving knives. Um, oh, wow. you're loaded up. Well, the first one I bought was a Japanese one, and it's, but it's a left-handed one. 
Mm-hmm. So it was, I only realized that like recently that it was a left-handed one. So that's funny. <laughs> then I bought a straight one because I was watching a YouTube video and the guy was talking about skiving and he was using a straight one. And then I don't really like the straight one for skiving. Uh, I don't know. I just, I just don't like the feel of it. And then I then I got a recent recently got one that's the right a right-handed one. And that, that, that works good because it's like a right-handed one and it's an angled one, so it has the correct... Think, oh, that. Yeah, so I it's... I talking about, I think I have the angled one too. Yeah, so actually I use one skiving knife to rough up my edges and... You know, oh, I've done that before. You should try sandpaper. Yeah, yeah. I have... Oh. What I like about the skiving knife is, like, I do have a bit of a finesse to it, and... Got it down. Yeah, and I feel like you can take more off with... Yeah. As opposed to, like, because you can get, with a skiving knife, you can get the... You can just take that whole surface off, like, see you later. But I feel like the sandpaper is, like, you sort of have to rub it for a bit, like... And it sort of... um. And then my other skiving knife I might use just to cut, you know, a belt, you know, just the, the some of the parts of the belt. But um, yeah, so that's what. But yeah, so I have I have tried to use the skiving knife to cut leather. I just it feels a lot more slower because you have to like you pull it towards you, whereas like a box cutter, yeah, you know, with a sharp blade, this is like you, you just it's just a natural put a ruler down, pull, pull, it's cut. Yeah. I think that's probably why some people some people like the rotary cutter. I want to get one just because you know if you're cutting you know thin leather like suede or something like that. But it's more of that natural movement. You just push it and it's all cut. So sort of similar with your round knife. You're you're more using your natural push pull or not. You shouldn't pull. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah, try the rotary knife. That I have seen a lot of crafters use that. I think quarter leather used that in a lot of those videos. Um, Did he? Really knife. Okay. Tried that too. The 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 pizza cutter knife, the circle oh, knife. Yeah. But yeah, I've no like you said too. I haven't seen too many crafters use the head knife, and mm-hmm. that's actually surprising. The only people that have I've seen is has been saddle makers. Yeah. Um, mostly because you're probably they deal with a lot more thick leather so you know that knife's good for really good fixed stuff but, yeah well yeah well th- that was the thing because like that's how i think as well because a lot of like a lot of us you know make small goods so like it doesn't really you know if you're a saddle maker you probably would use a head knife because you're dealing with so much material and yeah but at the same time like when i'm cutting like I like how flush my cuts are with my head knife in comparison to my box cutter. Yeah. Like, for whatever reason, I feel like my edges are even straighter and even cleaner with the head knife. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, maybe I'm just, because I'm sharp. But, you know, it, it, I've definitely noticed a difference in the ability yeah. of what I'm able to produce with it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So so you, you just decided, just, was there any... Sorry. Yeah, was there any, so quarter, wait, who? I think it was court, C-O-R-T-E-R. Yeah. I think, no, he he used the the rolling knife that you're describing yeah. that, that that you push yeah. away 
too, but it's like a pizza cutter. He yeah. was, I think, used that a good amount in his his leather crafting videos if you've ever seen them. But I haven't seen too many people use the head knife in video. I don't think I've seen it in videos before. So, 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 what was the inspiration again? I've forgotten. It was just for the head knife. Yeah, that you're using it. Uh, well, when I first was getting into it, like I, I just started seeing it on. I saw it at Tandy. Um, I was following a saddle maker at the time, and so I saw him using it. Um, and I was just like, this is. I, I see this knife. I think it's gonna be. I think it's a good knife. I don't know if people are using it, but I just decided to buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I like I said too, I wasn't using it too often. I was using it here and there, and then more recently, I started really using it. But there wasn't like nothing big was like, oh, well, that person's using it for a certain reason. Maybe I should too. It was just seems like this is a really sharp knife, and some experts are making good quality stuff with it. I think I should try it too. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's like that's so interesting. I, yeah, I do. I do want to get one. That's for sure. They're pretty to look at too. It's just yeah, they, they are. Look, they look really cool. But yeah, I think I think the first thing I'll probably do with it is like make us make a one of yeah, the first things is make us making a um what's it called a sheath for it because man I don't. Know. I'm too risky. Well, I'm doing it. Like the, the the skiving knife that I got recently was sitting on a bench, and I was like, I gotta put get a sheath on that, just because this, you know, they're unforgiving those blades. Like when you know, you get you cut with it, and it's not gonna be generous to you. It's just gonna go all the way through. Yeah. Um, so yeah, be safe with that. With the don't like pick up that rag thinking there's nothing on it. Under underneath it, yeah, no, it has its own separate spot, and yeah. it's like whenever I use it for certain things, and so when I do, it's like I move everything off my workbench, and I say, okay, I'm going to use this knife now. Yeah, like I just make sure I'm fully focused in the in the moment. Yeah, that's good. But yeah, I need to sheath it up real soon because <laughs> that is my most dangerous knife. Yeah, hundred, and it's the last one sheathed. And you can get some knife. You can like the sheaths you can make with it. Like look pretty good as well, you know. Yeah, they can be pretty. I know I have to make a. I'm gonna have to make a loop for it to, to yeah close off the top. Might just look up round nice sheaths. Yeah, guys have done tooling on their sheaths. I know it. It is a beautiful yeah. knife, the round knife. It really is. That's an interesting look too when they do the two two stitching lines like that. Yeah, that's like a very western style. Yeah. Look. Yeah, I like that one. I like the fillet, the um, the fleur de fleur de lis on that, the the dual stitching one, the stamp, the fleur de lis. I like that. Thanks, Hunter, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Of course, Joseph. Thank you for having me.